tonight. And as always, we know without a shadow of doubt that our Lord Jesus abides with us by his Spirit, whom he has given unto us. Amen and amen. And as we have gathered, we are here to gain not just knowledge concerning what God has done in Christ for us and how we may live in the glory of Christ, but also to receive impartation from him. Amen and amen. The word of the Lord is not only meant to fill our minds with knowledge. It is meant to impact our spirits. Hallelujah. That is, impact strength to us, bring us revelational insight, lift us up and establish us. The power in the word of God is meant to break every hold of darkness in any area of our lives and unleash us into the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Hallelujah. And that is exactly what God intends to do tonight as all other nights in our lives. Amen and amen. As I have said, this is a spiritual meeting. Amen. It is not a mere gathering of people uh, friends or something like that. No, this is a spiritual gathering of those who are the called of Jesus Christ. We learned that yet last week. This is a spiritual gathering of saints of God. Hallelujah. And Christ Jesus, who has preeminence among us, is glorified in our midst. Hallelujah. And so we pray that the Lord will have his own way among us. Amen and amen. Tonight we continue in our study of the book of Romans. I hope you are not beginning to get tired of the book because we have a long ways to go. Hallelujah. The past two Sundays we're looking at the beginning of the book. We are still in chapter 1. And just by way of recap, last week we touched on certain important things that Paul uh, talks about. We ended by saying that as Paul referred to the Roman believers, the description he used to refer to them, he says, to all that be in Rome, that is Romans chapter number 1 verse 7, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, we, we understood that the believer is beloved of God in Christ, that all of God's love is directed toward the believer in Christ. That just as God loves Christ Jesus, so has he loved the believer in Christ. Hallelujah. And he says, called to be saints. Amen. That is our calling. That is our calling. We are called to be saints, meaning we are set apart. Hagiasmus in the Greek, we are set apart. To be holy unto the Lord. Our holiness is in our calling. Through the gospel, the believer is set apart unto God. Amen and amen. Set apart from sin. Set apart from the world. Set apart from anything that defiles unto God. Hallelujah. Therefore, our members have become instruments for God to use. This is the source of our purity in Christ. Hallelujah. 
that God alone owns our lives. Hallelujah. We belong to him. And Paul continues on to say, Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Today we are going to continue from verse 8. If you do have your Bibles, turn with me quickly to verse 8. Romans chapter number 1, verse 8. We're going to continue from there. And I trust and believe that um, as we exegetically examine the text of the Scripture, you're going to learn so many things concerning the heart of God for us in Christ. Amen and amen. Look with me, Romans chapter number 1, verse 8. The Bible says, Paul is saying, First, I thank my God. After Paul had gone through his greeting and introduction, he says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Hallelujah. Remember we said, and we'll see later on today, Paul had never been to Rome, or at the writing of the letter, he had not yet visited Rome. Though he had tried several times, he had not yet visited Rome. But he had heard of the faith of the Romans, that the Roman believers, throughout the entire world. So Paul says, I thank my God, through Jesus Christ, for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. That means that there was something about the Roman believer had heard the gospel, and the gospel had found practical expression in their lives. So others had seen it and reported it all over the world. Hallelujah. The Ephesians had heard of the faith of the Romans. The Philippians had heard of the faith of the Romans. Hallelujah. All throughout the regions of Achaia and Asia, they had heard of the faith of the Romans. The gospel message had found proper expression in their lives. They were living out the truth of the message they had heard. So Paul says their faith was spoken of throughout the whole world. Amen and amen. It was manifested in their conduct, in their dealings with one another, in the way they related and the, the way they loved one another, in their, in their service to God. Their faith was made evident. Hallelujah. In their righteous life they were living. Hallelujah. You know, in our day, most people, they, they, most people think of the evidence of faith as in obtaining things. Hallelujah. You know, just obtaining things. But that is not the kind of faith being spoken of here. This is the faith they had come into by believing the gospel had found expression in their lives. And even us now, the question we should always be asking ourselves is, what we have truly believed concerning the gospel, is it finding expression in our lives? That's a good question. And the truth is, it is a consequent result of believing the gospel to live the righteous life in Christ. Let me repeat that again. It is a consequent result of believing the gospel that is having faith in Christ to live the righteous life in Christ, a life that honors and glorifies God according to the scriptures. Hallelujah. A man cannot claim to have faith in Christ and the consequent result 
of it, that is the practical expression of it in his life, is not seen. Amen and amen. That is why James writes and says, show me your faith without works and I'll show you my faith with works. Hallelujah. Works do not come before faith. But you see, the man of faith produces works consistent with the faith he has. So if we believe in Jesus, our works will reflect and will glorify Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. It is a consequent result. Faith can be in your heart. The persuasion that results from the gospel cannot be in your heart. And you live a life contrary to it. It's not possible. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. Let's continue. In verse 9 it says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Hallelujah. Says God is my witness. Whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. Now this phrase, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, you will see Paul making it a lot in the rest of his books that he wrote. The Bible says, Paul says in Philippians that we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and put no confidence in the flesh and rejoice in Christ Jesus. Where is Paul speaking these things from? Remember when Jesus came, Jesus, when he met the woman at the well, he said to him, that said to the woman, that God is spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Hallelujah. God is spirit. And Paul says, who I serve with my spirit. Hallelujah. The only way a man can truly serve God is with his spirit. And that can happen after the born again experience. Because the man who is not born again is dead to God. As a matter of man, as a matter of fact, he's a carnal man. And the carnal man is enmity with God. He cannot submit to God. He cannot submit to the law of God. And he cannot please God. It is impossible. No matter what he does, he cannot please God. That is why to be born again is so important. Because in the born again experience, a man's spirit is regenerated. Hallelujah. He receives the life of God and becomes alive to the fatherhood of God. That qualifies him as a true worshiper. Remember, Jesus said... um, the time is coming when neither in the mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship God. For God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. True worshipers are those who have been born again, renewed by the Spirit of God to serve him in the gospel of the Son. So the believer is a true worshiper. Hallelujah. A true worshiper is not when we gather in the church the one who is rolling on the floor and and crying and all that. No. Every born-again believer is a true worshiper. Hallelujah. Say with me, I am a true worshiper. True worshiper. Talk to me, faith generation. Say with me, I am a true worshiper. I am a true worshiper. worshiper. Hallelujah. How did you become a true worshiper? By the born-again experience. By believing in what God has done in Christ. Hallelujah. That is believing the gospel. 
that born-again experience changed you. It renewed your heart. Your spirit was awakened to the fatherhood of God. Now you serve God with your spirit in the gospel of his son. That is in the truth. The gospel of his son is the truth. That is the gospel, the truth. You serve God with your spirit in the truth. Hallelujah. And Paul says, that without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers. And you can see that this is very, um, it, it is one of the things Paul sort of found joy in doing. It, regarding the Colossians and the Ephesians, he says, I bow my knees before the Father of glory. You know, the whole family in heaven and earth are, uh, are named. And he says he's praying for them all, always. Paul always shows how he labors in prayers for the saints. And, you know, I, I thank God that we have the opportunity to do the same. As every day we are praying, every morning here in Faith Generation, praying for one another, and especially praying for the believers around the world. You see, you should cultivate that habit of making prayers for the saints unceasingly. Without ceasing, Paul says he was making mention of them in prayers. He had not met the Roman believers before, but he was always in prayer for them. Hallelujah. See, prayer is the ministry of the believer because you're a priest unto God. Prayer is one of your ministries. Every believer has that ministry of prayer. Amen and amen. And in prayer, we just don't, we just don't go asking for things. We go there to petition, to supplicate, and to lift up prayers for others, especially believers around the world. Praying for believers in, lo in your local church. Praying for believers in faith generation. Praying for believers in your country, your nation, in your vicinity, in your community. Praying, making mention of them in prayers. Hallelujah. That is your ministry. And you should find joy in doing that. I know we're in faith generation. We are doing it. I want to encourage us all to continue doing that. You notice, uh, in all the writings of Paul, it was something that he found joy in doing. And I find that it is actually one of the results of a heart that has been transformed by Christ. You, you, you lose your selfishness. You become selfless in your prayers. Hallelujah. Sometimes you can tell people who are not truly regenerated. They are very selfish in their prayers. All their prayers about me, myself, and I, my job, my house, my marriage, my this, my that, they'll spend all night in prayer. What are they doing? My job, my house, my marriage, my wife, my husband, my this, my that. Everything is mine, 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 mine. No intercession. Hallelujah. No supplication for the saints. Hallelujah. Listen, we're spending all night in prayer. We ought to be making mention of the believers, praying for them, laboring in prayer for the Paul says concerning uh, 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 Epaphras in the book of uh, Colossians. He says that laboring always in prayers for you that you will stand perfect in all of God's will for your life. You see it? The man, Epaphras, labored in prayer daily for the saints that they will stand perfect in all of God's will for their lives. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. And the only way a man would do that is if he has love for the saints. And every man that is born again has love for the saints. I'm just, you see, as, 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 you are, as I'm talking like this, I'm just giving you, these are signs of those who have believed. 
you, you see a real demonstration for those whom the work of the spirit is really the, the spirit of God is working in their lives you begin to see that selflessness in their prayer you begin to see that demonstration of love in their heart for the saints I would say that we know that we are passed from death unto life because we love the brethren and one of the manifestations of love for the brethren is unceasing prayer for them amen and amen I want you to commit to praying for the saints amen whatever is happening to the saints elsewhere is happening to us because we are one body whatever affects the eye affects us all so we should not stand aloof to what is happening to believers somewhere in Afghanistan what is happening to believers somewhere in China what is happening to believers somewhere in Madagascar it must of necessity concern us amen it must concern us because they are brothers and sisters in the faith we are one body hallelujah listen to Paul he says in verse 10 making request if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come to you then Paul now begins to detail his desire to actually come to the, the Roman believer. It says, For I long, in verse 11, for I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end that you may be established. Hallelujah. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Remember, Paul had not visited the Roman believers at the time of the writing of this text, he had longed to visit them. And towards the end of his missionary work, he actually had the opportunity to go. Howbeit, he went in chains. You remember when Paul went to Rome, finally, he went under the command of the Roman government in chains. Yet, the gospel was not hindered. He went there in chains, still preaching the gospel. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. Now look at this verse 30. He says, Now I will not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purpose to come unto you, but was led hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among the other Gentiles. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Paul had this conviction in him that he was a debtor to all people to preach the gospel to them. That is why elsewhere Paul says, Woe is me if I preach the gospel. Hallelujah. Paul saw the gospel message as an all-important message everybody needed to hear. That he, he saw himself as a debtor both to the Greeks and the barbarians, to both the wise and the unwise, that is to all men. He felt like he owed all men a debt. What debt was that? The preaching of the gospel. So he says, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Paul had preached in many places. Amen and amen. He had preached in many places, but he had not yet been to Rome. And Paul is saying that he felt a great debt to all men, including the Romans, to preach the gospel to them also. And because of that, he was ready. Hallelujah. We need to have that same readiness when it comes to the gospel. One of the armors of God, when you read uh, Ephesians chapter number 6, verse 10, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that he may be able to stand against the walls of the devil. 
for wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Then he begins to detail what the armor of God is. He says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand through the Having that all to stand, stand therefore with your loins, get about the truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, feet, shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Hallelujah. Paul was ready to preach the gospel. It is part of the armor of God. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That's what the Bible says. How beautiful are the feet of them that bring good news, that bring glad tidings. Hallelujah. It is simply speaking of our readiness to preach the gospel. Do we find that we owe men a debt to preach the gospel to them? And the reason Paul is saying this is he will show us later the necessity for all men to hear the gospel. Hallelujah. Our feet must be shod with the preparation that comes from the gospel of peace. That means we to preach the gospel. So let's look at verse 16 and verse 17, which is actually Paul's thematic, uh, thematic statement of his entire letter, which we call the book of Romans. Hallelujah. It's, it's his uh, statement of purpose for the entire book. Look at verse 16. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. These two verses is the theme for Paul's entire writing of the book of Romans. And in the rest of the chapters, he's going to unpack what this actually means. Paul says, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that I also in Rome. Why? Because I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Do you know why Paul is saying he's not ashamed of the gospel of Christ? The word ashamed here is, you know, from the Greek word, hallelujah. Paul, Paul was not intimidated to preach the gospel. He was not ashamed to preach the gospel. Why is that? Remember that... <laughs> To the Jews, the gospel was a stumbling block. To the Greeks, it was foolishness. Hallelujah. And, and to proclaim the gospel and to identify with a Savior called Jesus who was crucified on the cross in those days was seen as something foolish by the people. Because how can you say that Jesus is a Savior when he could not even save himself? He was, he was beaten and hung on a cross. Hallelujah. How could you identify yourself with something so lowly? That is how they thought about it. Hallelujah. But Paul says, I'm not ashamed to preach the gospel. Hallelujah. For it is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel does not bring power. The gospel does not carry power. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Hallelujah. We don't preach the gospel in power. The gospel itself is the power of God. When we preach the gospel, we are preaching God's power. Amen and amen. So if you want to walk in God's power, walk in the gospel of Christ. Hallelujah. When you believe in the gospel, you have believed in God's power. 
Amen and amen. God's power is the gospel of Christ. That is what God has done in Christ for mankind. That has brought salvation. Amen and amen. It is the power of God unto salvation to every man that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. That is simply, you know, the message was first, went out first to the Jews and then was opened up to the Gentiles, that is to the rest of the world. Hallelujah. Paul here is detailing for us what the gospel really is. Then he goes on to say, For therein, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God. This is the first time Paul uses this phrase, the righteousness of God. And he's going to unpack what that really means in the later chapters. But he says, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Hallelujah. Listen, when we preach the gospel, we are preaching the revelation of God's righteousness. The Bible says that not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Hallelujah. The Bible says not of works, lest any man should boast. The gospel reveals the righteousness of God. What God has done right in Christ for man's salvation. Righteousness here, uh, the righteousness of God here, speaks of justification. It speaks of the justice of God made manifest. Hallelujah. And it was all in Christ for man. He says, from faith to faith. What does it mean? The Faith for the righteousness of God is not only when you are a sinner you need to believe. And after you are saved, you go on into doing whatever you want to do, into works. No, it is from faith to faith. You are saved by faith. You continue to live the saved life by faith. Hallelujah. That is why Paul wrote to the Galatians. He says, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Have you begun in the spirit you now want to be perfected in the flesh? Then he asked them, did you receive the Spirit by faith or by the works of the law? Hallelujah. Listen, it is from faith to faith, from grace to grace. Hallelujah. Paul says something, and we'll see that later on in this book of Romans. He says something concerning the, the Jews. He said, they being ignorant of the righteousness of God, went about establishing their own righteousness. The ignorance of what God has done in Christ for us will make us go about trying to redo what God has already done in Christ for us. And it leads us to a shipwreck of our faith. That is why the teaching of the gospel is important because it reveals what God has done in Christ. It reveals the righteousness of God in Christ for the believer. Hallelujah. And here Paul references the book of uh, Habakkuk, talks about the just shall live by faith. In the book of Habakkuk, he talks about the just shall live by his faith. If you read it contextually, he's talking about his faith. They're talking about the one in whom God is going to complete that work, his faith. So the just, those of us who are justified, will live by his faith. That is the faith of the Son of God. Who has been given to us? That's why Paul says, It is no longer I will live, but Christ will live to me. The life that I live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you see that? Hallelujah. 
we, we, I'm, I'm going to try as much as possible not to jump ahead of myself, but as we go through the rest of the chapters, we are going to see how Paul unpacks how that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation to every man that believes, and how that in the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed. Listen, the righteousness of God is not revealed anywhere else but in the gospel. That is why the believer, or that is why the church must preach the gospel and the gospel only. We have no time meddling in other affairs. You've heard me say that several times. Hallelujah. Most times when you tell people this, they think that you're trying to tell them that all other things don't matter. No. They do matter. But that is not the prerogative of the church. That is not our forte. That is not what we major in. That is not our message. Hallelujah. If we want those things, we'll go to other places where we can get them. If you want to learn about wealth management, wealth creation, and all those things, you don't learn those things in the church. Hallelujah. That's not what the church is for. There are places where you can learn that. And you should actually go there to learn those things. Amen and amen. The church is the pillar and ground of truth. What is this truth? What God has done in Christ for us. Salvation is not a guarantee for wealth. Amen and amen. And salvation does not excuse you from creativity. Wealth creation and making it in life, in quote, comes from the use of your creative abilities and thinking innovatively. Hallelujah. But that is not what the church is focused on. Amen and amen. We preach Christ and Him crucified. Hallelujah. Is somebody hearing me tonight? And the things that pertain to that. Our goal is to train you in Christ, raise you in Christ, mature you in Christ, so that you can be a minister of Christ. Amen and amen. These are the things you can go and learn them somewhere else. As a matter of fact, you should. That is why you go to school. You don't obtain a degree when you come to faith generation or you go to church. You don't obtain your degree in mathematics or your degree in business from church. No. You go to a school dedicated for that. and You get a degree. So that when you go to your job place, when they ask you to show your degree, you show that. And they know the oath of a truth. You have been to school and you know what you are talking about. Have you ever seen somebody showing a degree in business from, from a church? Do you think somebody will hire them? Because they know that the experts in business are not there in the church. Hallelujah. Shadabaka science. You understand why? The gospel of Christ is the power of God. When we preach the gospel, we are preaching God's power. Amen and amen. Then Paul goes on. Let, 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 let's go on. I mean, we are going to unpack this in the, in the, in the later chapters. Paul goes on from... Chapter verse 18, Romans chapter 1, verse 18, all the way down to 32, to show us why man needs the salvation of God. Now, this part of the text is so very important. Hallelujah. Paul reveals to us the sinfulness of man and the revelation of God's wrath against sin, and how that a people or a society degenerates into depravity from one level to another as they reject the knowledge of God. And we'll see that we are going to read through it. Amen and amen. And as we do so, you begin to see 
how this is prevalent in the society that we live in now. Look at verse 18. It says, for the wrath of God. Now, the fact that Paul uses the word for means that he is linking what he has said in in Romans chapter number 1, verse 16 and 17, to what he's about to say. He says, in 17, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed in from heaven against all ungodliness and ungodly and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. That means this salvation that the gospel brings is salvation from what? From the wrath of God. Hallelujah. God's wrath does not abide on man. It abides on the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Newsflash. God is hates sin. God loves sinners. God hates sin. God loves sinners. Hallelujah. That distinction must clearly be made. That is why when you go to the book of Jude, if you so please turn with me quickly, Jude is right after third John and just before the book of Revelation. Look with me now in Jude chapter number I mean Jude is just one chapter. Um, look at Jude, Jude one twenty three. Um, actually, let's let's read from twenty two. He says, "And of some have compassion, making a difference, and others say with fear, pulling them out of fire, hating even the the garments spotted by the flesh." Hallelujah! Do you see it? Jude is trying to make a difference here between the unrighteousness of man and the man himself. God loves sinners. That's why the Bible says, for God so loved the world. He says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to us. But why did God give his only begotten son for sinners? Because he hates sin. Why does God hate sin? Because of its debilitating effect on men. Sin is the total contradiction to the character and nature of God, which he made man to be in. God made man to be in his image and in his likeness. But sin is a corruption of that image. And God hates that which corrupts his image in man. That is why his wrath is revealed against the unrighteousness of man. Hallelujah. And that is why we see a perfect representation of that on the cross. On the cross, Christ Jesus bore all of the unrighteousness of the world upon him. And the wrath of God was revealed against Christ on the cross. He bore the penalty of our sin on the cross. The cross is a grim reminder to us of God's hatred for sin because the wages of sin is death what is death the separation of God and man and that is the reason God hates sin because sin separated us from God the fellowship God wants with man sin came in to separate and hinder it
trying to separate us from him. Amen and amen. And in God's justice, he clothed us in his own righteousness. God's righteousness is not that he has found something in us to justify us. No. It is that he has decided to treat us as though we never sinned before. And that is because of his sheer grace. Amen and amen. Paul unpacks that for us as we move forward. We'll see that more. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. Again, let me remind you, God hates sin. Why? Because sin corrupts his image and likeness in man. Sin corrupts. Hallelujah. Shadabusalabaki. That is why he sent Jesus to come. He says, who hold the truth in unrighteousness? He says, but because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it to them. For the invincible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Do you see it? Man is totally without excuse, irrespective of who he is. No man living under the sun can say to God that I did not know. God has revealed his eternal power and his Godhead to all of men. How? Through creation and through the invincible things which has, he has made in this world. So man is without excuse. The greatest revelation of God is in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. That is why, you see, in as much as creation reveals who God is and the power of God, his eternal power in Godhead, the gospel message is the accurate representation and depiction of God in Christ Jesus. That is why we preach the gospel. So, through creation, men retain a knowledge of God. They have a knowledge of God. At least they know that there is a God, there is a supreme being, there is an intelligent designer behind it all. Sadly, in our day, listen to me, before I even come to that, let's read verse 21. It says, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Do you see it? In our day, we have people who say they are atheists, some say they are agnostics, Hallelujah. They don't want to believe that God is. They look at creation with all the evidence that creation presents of a supreme intelligence behind it all. They still claim there is no God. And you know what? <laughs> the Bible does not dedicate, God does not dedicate any part of the Bible to justify his existence because it is totally irrelevant. The only thing God remotely says concerning that is this in the book of Psalms. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. That is the only thing God says even remotely concerning his existence. He says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. You must be a fool. Who is a fool here? The person who ignores knowledge. The knowledge of God is clearly revealed in all of creation. But they ignore this knowledge. They see it, they understand it, but they ignore it. 
they choose not to believe. So those who say there is no God is not because there is no evidence. It is because they've chosen not to believe. The atheist, no matter the kind of excuses they bring, it is because they've chosen not to believe. And when you show them the simple evidence, they'll tell you it is too simple. Everything that is created has a creator. How then do you say this massive creation of the world, this entire universe could just come out of nothing? With no agent behind it. With no so if you imagine the intelligence in creation. Hallelujah. Talkless of the fact that you man are the crown of his creation. Just look at the intricacies even of the body of man. The intelligence that God has locked up even just in your DNA. Yet still man claims there is no God. Why else would God not say you are a fool? Hallelujah. Shadabakaya. It's not because there is no evidence. It is because they are chosen not to believe. So listen to the result. Because of that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. The moment you reject the knowledge of God, this is the consequence. You become vain in your imaginations. What is vain? You become empty, wicked, idolatrous, foolish in your imaginations. And their foolish heart was darkened. Darkness begins to take over. Why? The knowledge of God is light. The Bible says that he is the father of light, with whom there is no variableness, no shadow due to terror. In him is light, and there is no darkness in him. The moment you reject the knowledge of God, you have opened up your heart for darkness to take over. No wonder we see that now. Even in the ivory towers of education, in our Harvards and Yale's, MITs and all the big, big schools, you see professors struggling with this basic question. Hallelujah. With all their knowledge, they know not God. Not because there is no evidence, but because they've rejected the evidence that there is. And their foolish hearts are darkness. So what happens to them? They group on in darkness. They group on in darkness. Professing to be wise, the Bible says they were foolish. Hallelujah. They are not different. And listen, they are not the first to start. Their fathers began back then. That's what the Bible says. Where are the scribes of the age? Where are the wise men of this age? God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. In their wisdom, they knew not God. And God chose to the foolishness of preaching. Hallelujah. The men should know him. Because as we preach, we preach the revelation of God in Christ. That is the gospel. That's the first step. When a society rejects the knowledge of God, their foolish heart is darkened and they become vain in their imaginations. What happens to them? Look at verse 22. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. How many foolish people do we have walking around? Carrying big, big titles upon them. Claiming to be wise, yet are fools. Hallelujah. The basic of all knowledge they lack. Not because there is no evidence, but because they have rejected the evidence. Now look at what happens. And change the glory of the uncorruptible God into image made like unto corruptible man, and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. You see, in every generation it is different. 
when they begin to change the glory of the uncorruptible God into the image, into an image made like unto corruptible man, into birds and four-footed beasts. In some cultures, you see them. You know, they 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 make wood, they make carvings of wood and metal and all those things, and begin to worship those things as their gods. Some begins to worship the stars and the sun and the rivers and the moon and the stars. They begin to worship those things in our generation. In what we call a civilized society, you may not see these things, but we begin to worship our own selves. Selfism sits upon the throne. We worship ourselves. Men become lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God. We worship ourselves. We worship our intellect. We worship our knowledge. We begin to pride ourselves, glory ourselves in our knowledge. Yet in that knowledge, we know not God. That is why you ought to be very careful. Hallelujah. When you gain the knowledge of God, what should happen is that you become thankful to God and you glorify God. Hallelujah. But not so with these men. So listen to what happens in verse 24. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness. Now that phrase, God gave them up, Paul borrows from the writing of Moses. Remember Moses said concerning um, uh, uh, concerning Pharaoh that God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. Now, when you read things like that, if you are not if you've not studied carefully, you might think that it was God's action in hardening Pharaoh's heart. No. God cannot tell Pharaoh to do something, then turn around and harden Pharaoh's heart. No, no, no. God doesn't do that. He doesn't play double standard that way. That phrase, God hardened Pharaoh's heart, if you read, that, if you read the entire story, there are places where it says, Pharaoh hardened, hardened his heart. Other places it says, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. In their writing, God's inactivity was rendered as an activity. So that God did not do anything is seen as God did something. So that's how they rendered it. And in the same way, Paul borrows that same uh, phrase or, or, or rendering to, to, to show us something. He says, wherefore God gave them up to uncleanness. Not that God pushed them into uncleanness, no. But that God did not restrain them. It is seen as an action. Hallelujah. But it is simply the consequence of their own rejection of God. When their foolish hearts were darkened and they became vain in their imagination, what happened to them? They spiraled down into uncleanness through their lust, the lust of their flesh, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Anytime there is a rejection of the knowledge of God, there is a degeneracy into immorality. Hallelujah. You begin to see lasciviousness unbound in the society. And that is what we see in our day. They change. The Bible says that you know they dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Begin to you, you see what that means. So you see it. You see you begin to see the degrading of of, of of man in society. First, it begins with the rejection of the knowledge of God. What happens next? They become vain in their imaginations. Their foolish heart is darkened. They begin to spiral down into uncleanness. That is, they are now going into immorality through the lust of their own hearts. Last becomes uninhibited, I mean, <laughs> unbound, unchained, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Look at verse 25. Who changed the truth of God into a lie? Not only did they reject the knowledge of God, they begin to change the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the Creator more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. 
they begin to worship themselves. They begin to worship creature. That is why the new religion now is self-worship. Selfism. Selfism is the new worship. It's sad to say it has crept into the church. It has crept into the church. Whereas Christ ought to be glorified, Christ ought to be exalted, now man is rather exalted. Hallelujah. Selfism. Selfism. It is creeping even into the church. Men have become lovers of themselves more than lovers of God. It is a degeneration that begins with the rejection of the knowledge of God. These are all symptoms. You see them now. Sadly, they entered into the church too. Again, when this happened, when they turned the truth of God into a lie, what happened now? For this cause, God gave them up again. You see the faith again? God gave them up. That means they are spiraling even down, down into the cesspool and the abyss of immorality. Look at it. God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women, they change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, bend in their last one toward another. Men with men, working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves the recompense of their error, which was meat. What is he talking about? Sexual immorality of all kinds, heightened by homosexuality and lesbianism. Hallelujah. When you see a society going in that direction, you know that the... <laughs> you, you, you should just understand the depth of their depravity. They are getting there. Hallelujah. Vile affections. It is all because they did not retain the knowledge of God. When the light of God's knowledge came, one, they rejected it. Then two, they began to turn the truth of God into a lie. And then they began to spiral down into vile affections. And any time you see that, the next thing that happens is gross immorality in society, especially sexual immorality. So you see homosexuality, men burning with lust against other men, lesbianism, women burning with lust against others. And you see that. Now it, 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 it's no longer here. It, it's everywhere. Then gradually... They now push it, push it to become a norm in society. That even when you lift up your voice to speak against it, you are seen. You are seen as somebody who is spewing hate, hate speech. We we'll see that here. The, see, the Bible describes all that Paul is doing here is describing the state of man without the knowledge of God. He is describing our society to us. All societies without the knowledge of God. That is what Paul is describing here. Look at verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over. Another one. The third stage, what happens? To a reprobate mind. Shada kunamateas. To a reprobate mind. That is a castaway mind. Literally, you've gotten to the place where it's like Everything is just worthless, a reprobate mind, to do those things which are not convenient. 
being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. Hallelujah. Do you see it? All these things Paul lists, it is because they chose not to retain the knowledge of God in their mind. So God gave them over. That is, they spiral down into a reprobate mind. And what is the, what is the, what is the consequence of that? They were filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness. So when you see these things in society, you should not be asking, why, why is God allowing these things? That's not the question you should be asking. It is evidence to you of the depravity of man. What happens when men reject the knowledge of God? Hallelujah. Which is clearly made evident to them. Because the knowledge of God is light. When you reject the light, darkness will begin to take over. Hallelujah. And sadly, that is what we are seeing in society. And the only way man can be redeemed from this is through the gospel message, which is the light of truth. Amen and amen. Now look at this. When they get to that level, without understanding, covenant breakers, breakers without natural affection, implacable, or merciful, look at verse 32. Who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. That is, do not get to the place where they encourage others to do it. They encourage others to do it. They are no longer ashamed of it anymore. It, it, it is now a, no, it's a lifestyle. It's normal. They encourage others. They rec- Listen, sin loves company. Sin loves company. That's what the Bible says, that do not, follow the comp- do not follow the masses to sin. Hallelujah. Sin loves company. Amen and amen. They, they create company. They create groups where they practice these things. Amen and amen. This is a description of what society is. And we see it in our day. We see this is how society is, but this is how society was back in the days of Paul. Rome, actually described by Seneca as a cesspool of all filthiness, is the same thing we are seeing now. When men reject the knowledge of God, it all begins from there. And this is why we preach and present the revelation of God's righteousness in Christ to men by preaching the gospel, which is the light that will bring them out of this darkness. Hallelujah. Do you see it? You see why it's necessary to preach the gospel? You see why it is necessary to stay in the gospel? Amen and amen. And all these things that men practice and men degenerate into because of their rejection of the knowledge of God, it is presented as being wise, as being fun, Hallelujah. As being pleasurable. Amen and amen. But you know that it all leads toward death. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. God's wrath is revealed against the unrighteousness of men. But God loves the sinner. He hates sin because of its distractive and corrupting nature. That is why God hates sin so much. Amen and amen. 
And you see, whenever you worship, you begin to take the nature of that thing. That is why, you see, just knowing God's truth is not enough. To know the Bible left and right and be able to, you know, argue with people on doctrinal issues, that's not the goal of, it, of the faith. Hallelujah. To know all these things and this knowledge does not move you to glorify God in your life, to live a life that glorifies God, to live a life in Christ that shows gratitude and thankfulness to God, then it's nothing. Hallelujah. Our knowledge of God should lead us to live a life that glorifies Him. Because in verse 21, it says, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. How do we glorify God as God? That's a message for another day. In our lives, as we gain the knowledge of God every day, it must move us to glorify Him as God. Hallelujah. Shadabu Satanabaya. Lift up your voice and begin to thank God for the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation. Lift up your voice and begin to thank God. Even as we bring the message to a close, we'll continue next week. Lift up your voice and begin to thank God.